Welcome to BNY Mellon Investment Management's Conversations On, a podcast series where each week we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics in financial markets today, featuring the views of our economists and fund managers. For the most part, investors in global equities have endured a roller coaster ride since the start of the year, as sell off gave way to partial recovery amid bouts of ongoing volatility. Today, we stand at a crossroads. Can we look forward to further stock market resilience, or will the bleak economic picture dismantle any progress made since the dark days of March? Walter Scott's Roy Leckie gives his thoughts with BNY Mellon Investment Management's Chief Economist, Shamik Dar. Hello, Roy. Nice to join you again, if only remotely. I hope you're weathering things well up there in Edinburgh. It's lovely down here in London. We've been thinking loads about, if you like, the sort of disjunction between, on the one hand, what are some pretty gloomy economic forecasts, and and on the other, what's going on in stock markets. So it's great to be able to talk to you, given that you're so much closer to the the bottom-up stuff on on stocks. I mean, what do you think the sort of overall situation is in the stock markets? And do you think there are any sectors or geographies that are likely to whether the initial sell-off that we saw better than others. Well, look, nice to speak to you, Shamin. Thanks for uh, the opportunity just to, to have a chat about things. Yeah, look, the, the, the sell-off that we saw in March, in many ways, I think was quite typical of a, a sharp sell-off in as much as the first phase was kind of indiscriminate. So pretty much every stock, every sector, every geography, every factor kind of theme fell pretty much at the same pace. Um, So kind of correlations were high. It it probably took another two or three weeks, uh, maybe three or four weeks for markets to become a little bit more discerning. So companies with certain characteristics did well, you know, liquidity and solvency, obviously key areas of focus by investors, as well as just the direct impact that that the kind of COVID situation would have on operations. So I, I think the market's by and large, did a reasonable job of identifying those companies that were kind of more affected than others. At the sector level, you know, obviously kind of banks, energy companies, these right in the eye of the storm, as well as companies or some companies exposed to discretionary spending. But, you know, I I think, you know, given given what was happening, your markets pretty much acted quite rationally, I have to say. what, What did you think? Actually, no, I completely agree. I mean, I think the big turning point from my sort of macro top-down kind of approach was basically when the central bank stepped in and said, look, we can see there's a panic going on. You guys are all rushing for the hills. You all want dollars. You all want cash. And what we'll do is provide that stuff in unlimited quantities. And I think my my own sense was that 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 kind of calmed the market down. And once the market was in a calmer place, it was able to do exactly what you say and start to discern and pick up those kind of bargain basement opportunities that, that had clearly appeared because of the generalized sell-off. Is that is that your sense of how it went as well? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, the kind of ultra-free marketeers continue to say it's outrageous that there's just so much intervention but I, I actually think it was the right thing to do. It's just so important that we do not have a, you know, we, we've already got a health crisis. We've got an economic crisis. The last thing we need is a financial crisis on top of this. So it's really important that capital markets 
remain kind of functioning, remain liquid. So I, 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 you'll know better than me, but the, the amount of money that has been raised in bond markets over the last four or five weeks is massive. And we've seen huge amounts, tens or even hundreds of billions raised in equity markets. So it had, had markets not been functioning, had they kind of collapsed and got completely clogged up, then these private companies would not have been able to access investor capital. And ultimately, that would have just added to the public sector bill for all of this. So I think authorities have done the right thing, keeping private markets functioning. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously now we've seen, I think the S&P is about 10% off its, off its pre-crisis peak, something like that. So we've seen quite a significant rally. Do you think, I mean, again, this is where a, you know, a bottom-up company-level expert, sector-level expert like you can make such a difference, I think. Do you, I mean, do you think that those opportunities are still there? And if so, what kinds of... Or, or do you think the sort of partial recovery has already kind of swamped the most obvious one? I mean, look, the, the markets have rebounded really amazingly robustly. We were able to identify and take advantage of, of lower prices to a limited extent. We're continuing to look for opportunities. If the question is, um, you know, is there any value left in markets? Firstly, I'd say, well, value is always a kind of, you know, it's a very subjective concept. But my, my view is that there's, there is always going to be value to be found, to be honest. I mean, it might not be obvious. It's certainly harder to find than it was four, five, six weeks ago. But amongst the gamut of listed companies around the world, of which there are tens of thousands, one can always find businesses, companies whose, um, whose long-term prospects are, are misunderstood or are undervalued. You know, I know a lot of investors just focus on a kind of limited number of metrics and say, look at the PE ratio and say, okay, there's no value left in markets. <laughs> I think PE ratios are only ever useful to a, a limited extent. They are, I, I don't think, limited, useful at all at the moment when there's just so much murkiness about the corporate earnings outlook, about the economic outlook. So you have to think about value in different ways. And, you know, again, I, I suppose with our position of being stewards of capital on a kind of long-term basis, we continue to find opportunities and, and, and identify businesses that we think will make us money over a reasonable time period or make our clients money over a reasonable time period. Yeah, I know that's a key feature of your approach. And this is all, it's also a period when I think conversations between macro top, top-down people and those much closer to the... Uh, to the behavior of companies like uh, yourselves is, is really productive. What about the whole sort of, you mentioned PEs, uh, what about the whole sort of growth fee value debate? Do you think that's, there's, there's anything left, left in that? Or do you think those kind of style factors are, are equally too broad brush and that, that what you need to do is look at individual companies? Yes, we, we, I mean, to be honest, I'm the wrong guy to be speaking to about factor investing in the growth value debate. I put very little store in it, to be honest. I think to a large extent, it's a kind of concept driven by index providers who make a lot of money out of designing all sorts of factors that they create a marketing spiel around and make a lot of money out of. I have never considered growth and value to be independent 
investment principles. I mean, you're not going to benefit from growth if you pay too much. Um, but in the same vein, you're not going to make a long-term return if you buy something cheap that, that never grows. So it's about identifying the kind of balance or the dynamic between value and growth that, that is going to translate into long-term wealth creation. And, and you know, there's other factors as well um, one, one should consider. I mean, at the moment, things like balance sheet strength, you know, hugely important liquidity. ESG, you know, has been kind of central to our kind of approach to investing or investment thinking for you know, a very long time. I, 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 we haven't kind of always called it ESG, but understanding the, the company uh, attitude to some of these crucial issues is, is just fundamental to corporate success, which ultimately drives investment success. So the growth value debate is a kind of side sideshow for us at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to find great companies. And I think that, that that tends to be a more productive way to spend one's time. Yeah, sorry, it was a bit of an unfair question, a bit of a macro guy <laughs> type of question. But I'll come back to ESG if that's okay in a sec, because that's really interesting to us as well. But, but just before that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about shrinking supply chains and you know, diversify supply chains and that kind of thing. Is that the kind of thing you're you're looking at when you're analysing a company's exposure? Are you taking that that sort of, if you like, complex interrelationship into account? I mean, absolutely. So look, we, we've been doing a lot of engagement with our investee companies. You know, we, we've had to kind of step up our engagement. We've always spent a lot of time on the road uh, or indeed meeting companies in our office. We're, we're not able to do that face-to-face now, obviously, but we are doing a lot of calls and, and you know, been very pleased, I have to say, with just the, the, the kind of level and value of the engagements we've had. And there is no doubt that a management mindset in some companies is, is changing quite significantly. And there is, you know, the kind of cliche at the moment is that whilst corporate management used to focus on efficiency, it's now much more about resiliency. Now, I, I would always argue that the, the sorts of companies we invest in have tended to prioritize efficiency and resiliency. But there is no doubt that a combination of you know, what's going on with the COVID situation, plus some geopolitical issues, um, is causing or leading companies to reassess supply chains to agree, I, I think there will be perhaps not so much with our companies, but I think there is going to be a fair amount of uh, reshoring. So, and, and just you know, increasing the, the the breadth and depth of supply chains. So, I think you know, without going into too much detail, I, th- I think there is going to be quite a lot of change on that front, which ultimately will improve uh, the resiliency of businesses. Might cost a few points on operating margins, on return on equity for a period, uh, but ultimately. You know, if done well, should stand companies in, in, in pretty good stead. And then, of course, there's the whole balance sheet situation. So, again, we, we, we're very keen to limit any balance sheet risk with our clients' capital. But we know that this obsession much of the market has had with efficient balance sheets has been completely debunked over the last few months. And so I think companies are going to... Uh, the, the kind of attitude to things like borrowing lots of money to buy back expensive stock uh, are going to change. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree entirely. And 
I, I love your emphasis on the sort of um, trade-off, if you like, between resiliency and efficiency, because that's one of the big themes we're talking about, that, that you know, the, the shift towards resiliency uh, is, is, is likely to be a feature of the post-COVID world. But you're absolutely right to say good companies have always considered both and, 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 and positions, position themselves you know, optimally with regard to both. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And I think there's a crossover there into, into the whole ESG world as well, where I guess one of the lessons of all this is, you know, we, we, we need to worry about all sorts of potential issues, not least perhaps climate, that kind of thing, or social, uh, social issues that, that in the past may be to some degree, we've 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 undervalued relative, you know, relative to 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 the hyper efficient outcome, if you like. Look, we, we we've we've kind of always felt that the companies that make the best investments over the long term are those companies that are very respectful of their environmental responsibilities. They do retain their social license to operate in as much as they treat their employees well and they pay their suppliers on time and you know they're just good operators in their local kind of economies or, or communities uh, and then of course they've got they've got good or you know, governance standards uh, I know that's a, a, a huge concept but I mean you know the, the right management with the right incentive structures and the right you know internal governance structures and treat minorities appropriately etc cetera, etc cetera. so ESG is just a very obvious bunch of considerations to look very carefully at when determining you know which companies one would want to own for the long term I, I think that this situation is going to increase emphasis on it, both in terms of the way companies are run and also in the way investors um, pick stocks. And ultimately, I think that's a very, very good thing. We have some huge challenges ahead of us, climate change being an obvious one, inequality being another, the, uh, just the huge levels of uh, outstanding debt is another. So there's a, a range of issues that need to be uh, met a, a range of challenges and a global corporate sector that is efficient, resilient, and considerate of the uh, environmental, social, and governance dynamics is going to be better equipped to deal with these. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think there is going to be change. And to me, it's, it's going to be, uh, a lot more positive than negative. Roy, thank you so much. Um, you know, I could carry on all day, to be honest. I find these conversations incredibly helpful. It's quite easy for me to get stuck in the sort of macro top-down view. Uh, so uh, hearing it from someone that uh, that knows companies as well as you do, that's, uh, that's it, it's really, I find that really helpful. So let's stay in touch uh, and thanks. Shamek, always good to chat. I hope we can continue this conversation face-to-face -face before too long. In the meantime, be well. I hope so too. Thanks a lot, Roy.